Blog Talk Radio. We're going to be doing a very different topic today. This program will only appeal to a certain group of people, and actually for the rest of the people, they might find it irritating, unbelievable, uh, disjointed, because we're going to be doing channeling. I've invited Ryan to be channeled today, and um, you will not be hearing the source of the channeling. You'll just be hearing the channel, um, or the channeling, <laughs> I don't know what I call it. And the questions have already been uh, set aside to be answered, and we're going to go forward with that. Um, this is an, an accompaniment to a book um, that I've written where I've explored uh, about 14 different spiritual perspectives, including those spiritual perspectives associated to health, money, power, as well as the traditional religious beliefs, as well as the um, the more New Age uh, beliefs. And so this is about... Uh, an aspect, in fact, I think it's chapter two of my book called Spiritual Path, Spiritual Gurus, Your Choice. So I hope you enjoy Ryan. Ryan is a very upbeat personality, and you will get to know more. We will interrupt ever so often just to take a little bit of a break, and then we will come back to enjoy the next two hours. I hope you find, find it very helpful for those of you that are open to information to challenge. Take the best of care. I'm going to turn this over to the channel and to Ryan, who comes forth. And We are so very, very pleased to be invited here. We thank Carol Francis, Dr. Carol Francis, for opening up her particular radio show for this. We understand that the channeling process is definitely controversial, and well, it should be, because there are so many charlatans out there or fakes, and you should at any point in time test every truth or truism or anything that is declared as having some sort of veracity, especially that which is not observable. But that is the difficulty for human beings is that the unobservable tends to make individuals feel very uncomfortable because it doesn't fit within their domain of awareness. But that is part of the human experience is to test and to trust only that which you have found to be trustworthy or to trust with some sort of measure of hesitation or awareness. So it is extremely important for you to be as objective as possible, but to realize that objectivity, even of and of itself, is actually always based on your presuppositions, your sociological upbringing, and also your wishes and desires and needs. And so you must also test yourself because your own perceptions of reality are going to be twisted or skewed in some fashion or form 
so that you can't necessarily know exactly when you yourself are perceiving reality. And that is the first topic of our, our, our particular session with you today. And again, we're so, we're so honored to be invited here by Dr. Carol Francis. We understand that in her profession, that this is a very different adjunct and we want her to um, feel at ease that the people who will listen to this will be as open as possible and at the same time will also be as scrutinizing as possible. So that is our introduction to the first topic and that is of reality. You, you must admit there is absolutely no possible ability that you could possibly think that what you can see or what you can experience with your five senses is actually the limit of reality. Now that you have been able to harness extreme power through electronics, uh, through electricity, through the radioactive processes that go on around you, there's so much that is invisible that you have absolutely no comprehension of whatsoever. Not whatsoever. Very few of you will understand the electrons going through the wall when a light switch goes on. You can perhaps understand it, but you don't think about it when this light switch. Very few of you can understand or actually experience what a cell phone goes through in order to be able to get a message for you or what a computer goes through when it goes on the Internet. So that now you are much more open to the recognition that there are so many things that are invisible to you and not comprehensible to you that are absolutely able to be harnessed by you for the benefit of the ease of your life. And therefore, if you accept reality of what you are able to harness, then you also have to accept the reality of that which you cannot see or touch with your five senses. Yes, you can come to the consequences of harnessing those items, but you cannot touch them. And therefore, you might as well just say, yes, you're right. I live in a state of ignorance 99% of the time in terms of what I do, how things work around me, and, and what is in the process. But what I do do in my day, I do know. And therefore, it's what you are acting upon, what you're deciding upon, what you are creating yourself, the chores that you are accomplishing, the business that you are doing throughout your day. Those are your realities. And to the degree that you are proficient in those, that becomes something that is concrete and specific to you. But simultaneously, you must realize that just 99% of the things that are going on around you that do definitely impact you, that you are not conscious of, or simply could not understand. So therefore, I would like you to open yourself up to a possibility that you must recognize that there is reality that it comes through with the spiritual realm. So we talk about angels, or rather you do. You talk about angels. We talk about angels. We talk about God. We talk about various characteristics and qualities of God, or as probably is more comfortable for some of you, source, or for others of you, you would have different names for God. And the thing is, is that can you recognize that there's absolutely no way that you could understand God? You might have 0.001% of an experience of what you might translate or interpret as God. You might have a slightly greater percent of experience of what you would say the spiritual realm. You might have more of a percent of your own sense of your spirituality or perhaps the way in which you exist in the 
spiritual form simultaneously coalescing in your material form. Your understanding of it is very minuscule, and you need to appreciate how small it is so that you open yourself up to saying, well, there's really no point in being dogmatic. I can certainly embrace the point of view and certainly enjoy a point of view and certainly find the point of view extraordinarily helpful, comforting, guiding, uh, constructive, just like you use your cell phones, for example, and you find it very helpful to you. But you really do not understand all the mechanisms unless you're one of the select that both do the programming and the electronics and the development of the cell phone, as well as all the towers and satellites that support you receiving a message. So therefore, as a consequence, you really do need to come to terms that you really know very little. And not feel small in terms of your self-esteem or your significance, but yes, definitely in terms of your inclination to be dogmatic. So dogmatism is an interesting process as well. Those individuals that embrace, that embrace a point of view to the exclusion of everything else do have very different dynamics that go on for them. They have a very strong need to feel like they can harness truth with a capital T. There is nothing wrong with that need and nothing wrong with that desire. For many individuals, that, that makes them continue to search and be curious and to question and to test and to wonder. So that that search for truth is a capital T, meaning some sort of objective, definite, um, definable, overarching belief and truth that is like an absolute. That search for the truth can make so many individuals follow a spiritual path and follow it to their heart-driven capacities. They are listening to themselves in terms of the urge to know, to understand. But simultaneously, they are negating the fact that there are more things going on than they can even potentially comprehend or understand in any given moment of your existence. And it is in recognizing how very minuscule your capacity to understand as you dwell within the material realm that the spiritual existence occurs. So you hear individuals, for example, you can go to your YouTube and you can and look for people who have experienced life after death. And what we do discover for you is that these people who have done the journey for you, if you choose to accept their journey as some point of reference of, of small key truth, that they say that the reality on the other side is so much clearer than the reality that you're in. And can you imagine? Yes, you can have image and imagination of that. But as long as this is the reality in which you function, you touch, you hold, you interact, you create, you interface, you manipulate, as long as this is the reality that you are here to master, the thought that there is another reality or many, many, many realities that are quite different for you is something that is kind of incomprehensible. And therefore, you move yourself into recognizing that this is so much bigger than what you could ever grasp. So enjoy the journey of grasping what you can. Enjoy the journey of testing what other people say that they grasp. And then realize that you can enjoy what you feel you know 
and you can use it to enhance your well-being and perhaps those of those around you. But that every human being you come in contact with has a separate idiosyncratic grasp of truth as well. How very difficult to know that simultaneously you interface with people at any given moment and simultaneously they interface with you and yet the truth of it is that you are not interfacing with them in their reality but rather your perception and projections into their reality as you bring your cluster and collection of yourself into that position. This is an extremely complex process because if you're interacting with millions of people in a given moment, driving on the freeway, watching the same incident on a television, you would think that you're having the same reality as each of those people. Sitting in the room with your spouse or your children, you must on some level realize your experience of what is going on is unique to you and their experience is unique to them. So granting them the respect of being unique and different from you, granting yourself that same respect, will help you also grant every human being on this planet and beyond the same respect that their experience of reality, small or bigger, is actually going to be potentially different from you. Therefore, now we talk about reality on its complex level. And it is only when you say, okay, I understand that I can only understand a minuscule amount, that you open yourself out to the reverence of what God is actually, not that you can actually understand, no disrespect to you in saying that, but because the God, the source, all of the expressions of God, all of the expressions of the source, are vastly impossible for one human being to be able to know in its entirety. Yes, a part, a minuscule part, but never in its entirety. So doesn't that free you up from having to be feeling that you must walk in your absolutism, doesn't that free you up from feeling like you have to find the correct dogmatism to guide your steps and feeling like you might make a mistake? Doesn't that free you up to not have to become others' judges when you know that there's absolutely no way you can adequately judge anyone, any entity? However, Does that mean that you shouldn't test to find if there's something trustworthy or not in what is being said in others? Would you possibly not test your politicians and just believe them carte blanche? That would be foolery. Would you completely trust your teachers at school to always disseminate truth? That would be foolish. Would you trust yourself to always speak absolutely well-researched information where you were the first-hand researcher in everything you declared, be very quiet, very unconversational if that was the case. So to know that there is only a small amount that you can absolutely know and to appreciate 
the vastness beyond that, with honor, with respect, and perhaps with some humility. great deal of consternation out there about health. Health has a lot to do with immortality and mortality. It has a lot to do with the fear of death, understandably. You don't actually know what will happen when your body stops. You have beliefs and you have hope and you have stories from those that have come back from their death experience. But you don't actually know what it will be like for you. And then to also feel like you might be afraid to leave those that depend on you. So that health has a great deal to do with the issue of death simultaneously. And in the process of it, it also has to do with pain and the endurance of it. And it also has to do with you being responsible for the vehicle, the wonderful temple of God, as it is called in many faiths, that you will dwell within. So we would like you to think about your health in a very different way. If you could please think about it on a very cellular level. If you go to your imagination about your cells, and you imagine that inside your cells, each cell has a community. And in that community, each aspect of the community has responsibilities. And each of those individuals, the portions we will call them for you, um, have a personality in their expression of their responsibilities, which includes how they will execute their responsibilities and also what they need, desire, in order to be able to execute their responsibilities. So that within each of yourselves, there is this type of community. And we look into yourselves and find that in there, your personality as who you are is somewhat expressed. Uh, you, your scientists would call that a DNA. We would say that it is also in the message of the RNA. But there are so many other components that we won't move into at this point in time. But your cellular scientists are very conscious of all these details that exist inside each and every one of your living cells. That they carry out this function is important for you to recognize because that means that you are in charge of how you impact each and every one of your cells. That makes you the god of your planet body. And the god of your planet body, or your body planet, whichever way you prefer, is your responsibility. And therefore, health is relevant in terms of the food you eat, the sleep you gain, the exercise that you have, the laughter that you participate in or that you create the fluidity with which you express yourself and the love and respect that you are able to exude as well as to receive. You could go on that list, but that pretty much summarizes the experience of what you need in order to create health. We would add one item to that list, and that is the experience of empathy, the ability of you to have empathy with yourself, each of the cells, 
and empathy with other humans, as well as your ability to generate empathy from yourself and empathy from others around you so that there is this exchange that goes on, like a channeling process of it going in and out and in and out. There is the process of other and self. There is the process of inside your material body and outside your material body. There is that same process of each and every one of your cells as they receive the chemicals or the messengers that are outside of the cells and then metabolize those messages and then send messages outward as well. So we are talking about waste products. We are talking about fuels. We are talking about movement and decisions and processing information and then creating uh, an impact as well. In other words, the signal going out. Now, there are approximately 27 trillion of these communities inside of you. That is a very large planet that you have. And each of those 27 trillion communities that are called yourselves rely on you uh, to a very large degree. So that every time you are eating food, every time you are drinking fluid, every time you are exercising, every time you are sleeping, every time you are laughing, every time you're conversing, every time you're private, every time you're meditating, every time you're exercising, every time you receive empathy, every time you exude empathy, every time you are in a state of bliss or peace or stress or strain, that is having an impact on 27 trillion communities within you. Now, notice that these are communities that are fully functioning with various components that process fuel, part of the community creates waste products, part of your community disposes of the waste product, part of the communities of the cells process information, part of them make decisions, part of them enact actions, and there is this constant series of processes that go on in these communities. If your cellular biologist were able to go deeper into understanding the function of each and every specific member of the community of the cells, they would actually be able to understand the cellular process, not only in terms of kind of a mechanism, which is where they are somewhat at now, but in terms of an actual series of dialogues that take place between the various functions within the cellular community. Now, do you have a huge responsibility? Yes, you absolutely do. And therefore, to be occupied with this responsibility requires a great deal of compassion as well as attention. Your inattentiveness toward your body, toward the 27 trillion cellular communities within your body, is the primary source of your ill health. It has less to do with some sort of karmic process, but yes, sometimes that is a part of it as well. It has less to do with what it goes on in terms of your environment and things that appear to be outside of your control, and more to do, much more to do. We would say 80% to do with the decisions you make about what we had just described before. Again, the food you eat, the water you drink, the nutrients you take in on terms of the fuel. Secondly, the laughter, the meditation, the peace, the joy, the acts of kindness, which is your empathy outward, and the acts of kindness toward you, which is the empathy you take in 
your sense of curiosity, your dance with joy. These are the sorts of things that fuel the 27 community much more powerfully and at least 80% of what goes on in your 27 trillion communities inside you require these sorts of inputs. The 20% that is left to things such as environmental pollution, um, as, such as things that are imposed on you by other individuals, uh, powerfully imposed on you, intruded on you, abused upon you, these are about 20% of what goes on. Therefore, those of you that have trauma in your life or stress in your life, if you were to attend to 80% of what you could attend to, regardless of the traumas that are there that are coming outside towards you, then you would be much better off. Now, we will talk later about abuse and we will talk later about trauma, but recognize there is a portion of abuse and trauma which you position yourself to be recipients of, which relates to your need to be in the path of empathy, not abuse or trauma or misuse. So therefore, consider now how powerful you are and also how responsible you are. And if you would spend the time focusing on your power, the impact would be a very happy 27 trillion community. Your world in in terms of economic crisis is of great stress and strain to many of you. Your own ability to fuel your body with food requires an economic exchange in your world. However, you tend to be more focused on the power of money and your ability or inability to raise money to such an exclusion that you don't look at your creative powers. So, for example, imagine that you're sitting in front of a television screen in a place where there are many television screens and that you decide to sit in front of one television screen even though there are 50 other television screens in the same room. And you sit so close that you cannot see any other portion of the room and you turn the volume up or listen with earphones and that's all you can hear. And on that particular television screen is the communication of disaster, financial woe, and your inability to be able to take care of yourself financially. And you sit there in front of that screen, and since it is so believable, since it is all that you are putting into your mind, it becomes your reality. Now, remember we said that the reality you understand is such a minuscule portion of actual reality. But now you are taking in one set of perspectives that, yes, there's reality there. Absolutely. But you're only taking in that one perspective. And you sit and you absorb and you believe and you believe with every 
portion of you and you convince your 27 trillion cells as to what is the truth that you are in the process of enduring. Now, while you're in the process of taking in that reality, you must realize that you are sitting in the path of stress, tension, strain, and powerlessness. And therefore, you will enact yourself to either feel like you must fight against all the odds, which is probably the healthiest response, given that that's the path that you've chosen to focus upon, or to surrender, which is the least healthy response you can take if you decide that that reality on that one television screen is the reality you must endure. So that if you feel like you have economic disaster, I wish you to consider that your economic disaster in your mind may be cultivated by the one television screen that you're so completely focused upon. And we want to remind you that once again, reality is far vaster than that which you can understand. So now, to the degree that you are keeping yourself completely confined to all the data and information coming from that one screen of reality, why don't you step back and decide that it is only one of many millions, in fact, realities? Step back farther and step back farther and farther and farther until you can no longer see that screen. You can no longer hear its message and begin to look around you at the millions of other possibilities. Now, of course, you cannot look at the million possibilities, but I've asked you to consider that there are 50 television screens in this particular imaginative room, and each of them have a different position on reality. Go to one that looks peaceful, functional, capable, one that is least amount of stress and least amount of tension, and most amount of functionality in terms of what we've discussed in the previous section on health. Look at the one that has the most empathic expression of what will encourage you to be your best and most functional self. In other words, choose the one that walks in the path of empathy. There you go. So what does that screen look like to you? So move relatively close to it, but what I would like you to do, instead of becoming completely blind to the 50 television screens around you of different expressions of reality, is to actually be able to see if you can sit close enough to hear and absorb and be influenced by this one message, but to also maintain the perspective of the 50 other television screens. Why? Because it will help you remember that you are in charge of which of those screens you opt to look at at any given second. And which of those television screens do you expose your 27 cellular, 27 trillion cellular communities within your body, including all of those cells in your brain, where choice and decision and actions and the influence on the other cells is paramount. Which one of these television screens would you want to expose your heart to, which is about love and about compassion, respect, and empathy? Which one of these television screens would you expose your stomach to, which is about receiving of nutrition and disseminating 
the nutrition, to the well-being or dis-well-being of your entire body, to your digestive system. In other words, you could go to any one of your television sets to authenticate the experience of that reality that will help your particular system that you're needing to help. But right now, you say in front of the television set that I've asked you to, which is least the paramount amount of empathy, the least amount of stress, and the least amount of tension. And there you go. Immerse yourself in that reality and know that you are seeing in front of you actual pictures of actual reality, as you would define it in your material realm. And it is beautiful. It is peaceful. It is amazing. It is grasping you. We have no idea if this is a field of beautiful flowers or possibly up in the pine forest or down near the ocean or inside the ocean as you dive into the beautiful coral or up in the outer space as you explore the various stars and energies and planets. We have no idea what this television show is about. But feel the awe-inspiring experience of it. That's right. Feel the awe-inspiring experience of it. The peacefulness. Feel the sense which you can absorb deeply and beautifully inside yourself. The wonderment, the ease, the relaxation, as if you are being gifted in this very moment with the radiance of something so very, very beautiful. For some of you, perhaps you are seeing images of angels or spirits that are filled with love and light and colorful expressions are the things that make you most elevated in life. Now notice, by you watching the television screen, hearing the beauties of the sounds, the voices, the music, the, the waves of nature, that as you absorb the information from the television set, that you are impacting the 27 trillion cultures or societies within each of your cells. They are being healed with a very different set of chemicals. They are being fueled with a very different set of hope, empathy. And therefore, in this moment, you are giving yourself experience of health. Now, step back and find the television set that instructs you in your creativity as to how you can creatively, effectively, and functionally produce the money you need to exchange for the products that you feel that you need or want. Now, notice I said that you feel that you want, because the truth is, is that you do not need that many products to be healthy. You really don't. You could actually probably ease your economic complications by only getting those very essential things that you need for your health. That's because of the variety that you have in your Western culture and many cultures beyond. You are able to choose so much and therefore spend so much. But go to that television set that provides you with that kind of creative, not only inspiration, but functional information about the various skill sets that you have that help you create the finances that you wish to create. That's right. So what you are going to see on this television screen as you maintain awareness of the other 
50 television screens as well in the room, but you hear the message. You hear creative messages. You hear information about how you can save. You hear information about how you can purchase more wisely. You hear information about how you can create money by doing this or by doing that. You feel the power of your capacity to actually engage in these particular things. For some of you, it will be what job you can have or what several jobs you can have. For others of you, it will be how you can garden. For others of you, it will be how you will exchange with other individuals within a community. For others of you, it will be how you can make your food more wisely so that you are eating things that are very, very productive for your body, but they are just so inexpensive. It will be for you how you can perhaps make products for your body to be warmed with or clothed with. It could be possibly who you can talk to, what activities you can do. We could go on and on, but this is a television screen about what you can do, how you can act, how you can function. Yes, all of the different ways that are available to you. And sit before this television screen and be a student. Learn before this television screen. This is the reality of what you can do. What you can do. This is a television screen that gives you information about reality, but a very different reality than you began with at first. And this is a television screen much more worthy because it is sitting in the path perhaps not of empathy, like the one of heart of your second television screen, but sitting in the path of your functionality. And yes, you can function. Whether you are deeply depressed, deeply in ailment, deeply physically dysfunctional, there is something that you can do that will be of hope to yourself and to others. There is something that you can do. Many things that you can do. We would say millions of things you can do. But that might feel too big. So therefore we will keep this optimal number at 50 things that you can do in this given moment. And that if you've been sitting in front of the television set that we're not even going to go and visit that says, how you cannot do anything and you are completely, completely helpless. We will not take you to that television screen because those of you that are completely dysfunctional sit in front of that and decide that that is your reality and you sit so closely that you don't consider that 50 other televisions exist with reality upon them. Therefore, do you understand what it means to be able to earn money you already understand the means to manage the money, to manage your financial situation so that you can interface with your material realm in ways that are very definite. Now, there is another television set that you might find in quite curiosity, and that's the one that talks about how your social situation on your global range talks about all the financial dysfunctionality that is taking place. But do you realize that all the messages about the financial dysfunctionality that's taking place in your banks, in your Wall Street, in your financial circumstances, that there are billions of individuals that are financially better off under these circumstances. Let's say that one again. There are billions of individuals that are better off under these financial arrangements. And therefore, why not you? 
So you can sit in front of the television set that talks about all about the financial woes and how difficult it's going on, but you might actually prefer to scour out for yourself those television shows that are about those individuals that are succeeding financially quite well and on a very vast level so that you can view yourself as being among those individuals. Immerse yourself in their teachings, in their lessons, in their information, in their techniques. Many of them are extremely unethical and unhuman or inhumane, as you would say. But there are those individuals that can create great amounts of wealth, and they create the great amounts of wealth in a way that is possible for you too. So those particular televisions that you go in front of that are about how you can actually become among those will inspire you, instruct you, inform you, and direct you in ways that are quite different. And now take note for a second that your particular cellular functionality is improved vastly by being a student and an actor, a person of action, that responds to the ability to create wealth for yourself much differently than sitting in front of those other television sets and even the one that you might have been sitting in front of before you read this chapter. Now, rise above as if you're levitating and look down at these tricky television sets all facing forward and see that to you they're just boxes that contain information and flashes of light. And notice that those flashes of light are all about energy. And notice that that energy has come in through vastly invisible processes that most of you do not even understand how those television substances function. And now I want you to also realize that you've been able to move into your imagination, visualizing this process, and do you even understand the power of your own imagination? No. Would you not? Do you even understand the electricity behind your own power to visualize or imagine? No, you do not. Do you even understand the biochemical impact your imagination has upon your body? Well, no, you do not. But perhaps you can grasp that in fact your imagination does impact all 27 trillion cells, each of the communities within them are impacted by whether your imagination, controlled by you or controlled by others, depending on how much you decided to take charge of your life. They are impacted by your imagination. And your imagination interfaces with what you believe to be the realities of the material world. You know, that last television screen that we were upon, which was that of the wealthy who can make things happen and teaching you, their imagination is vastly different than the imagination of individuals who feel like they cannot function and that they're impoverished and they cannot make their life function and they're feeling desmos and depressed. The imagination of both individuals are quite different, but the truth is, is that the power of your imagination, which you cannot possibly understand, but please take it for granted for now, that your power of your imagination is humongous. And it is now time for you to imagine your greatest capacities to succeed and to start taking step by step, inch by inch, molecule by molecule, cell by cell, 
moving towards your imagination. Now, for some of you, your imaginations are to dream so big that you can't even act upon it in the next moment. So you might make your imagination small enough to be able to act effectively and positively, proactively in your next moment. After you finish listening to this, your next moment is available for you to act productively, move in the path of plenty. The scripture in the Christian tradition is often quoted as asking you shall receive, seeking you shall find, knock and the door shall be open to you. Do you realize that that is a wonderful parable for you to open up your imagination as to recognize that this is not any different. If you are to knock on the door, the door opens and you step in. See? Three processes you must imagine. You must act to knock. You must have the door open in your imagination. And you once again must walk in. Yes, the opening of the door is the empathic path you walk in, that others would open doors to you. But if you don't knock, they can't open doors. And if the doors don't open, then go try another door. Imagine there are 50 doors available. Go knock until the right door opens up with the right empathic path ahead of you. Empathic to your financial needs. Empathic to your ability to take care of yourself and others you feel responsible for. It's easier than you can imagine. But you can imagine, and that is a big step toward the process. Look down and get into television screens and recognize that you look at the top of them and you're hovering above and you're levitating, you're looking down, and that's all within the context of your imagination. And that power of your imagination can also make you act because your imagination moves you towards something. Knock, find out if it works for you. But make sure that the next step of your imagination you are going to affect an activity is a doable step for you. Imagine the next doable step. And the next imagine doable step. For example, if your body is malnutritioned and the only thing you have access to is water, then go drink some water. If the only thing you have available to you is to go pull a berry off of a plant, and pull that edible berry off of a plant. How about an edible petal of a flower? If the next thing that you can possibly do is to find a dime on the ground and to go buy something, even a piece of bubble gum in a, in a bubble gum container, and that is some source of sugar or glucose for your body, then that's what you do. You may be that low, and that is your next step. But the next step starts you imagining that there's something there that you're not seeing that will help you. And you imagine that you can suddenly see with clarity. Now look around and there will be plenty of things for you to avail yourself of. Plenty of ways for you to earn money. And if you're busy, say no, 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 no. I won't do that, I won't do that, I won't do that, I won't do that, I won't And recognizing that that's fine, but that means you're not opening up your own door. You can knock on a door and the doorknob may be on your side. And there's no one but you to open the door and stop in. It all starts with you. That feels like a huge responsibility when you're depressed or overwhelmed. But it also is your power. And don't forget the power of your imagination. And imagining the next legal step 
may be helpful to you for the next one and the next one and the next one. And our advice to you is to turn off the television screens that have absolutely nothing in them that gives you a path of empathic doability. And we wish you well. like to take you through now a moment of meditation, a moment of peaceful restfulness. Those that are reading this will have to perhaps take their own voice and read this into a recording of sorts so that they will be able to listen to this with their eyes closed. And you can read it through as well. But those of you that have an opportunity, relax your body now. Make sure that there's no encumbrances or things that you need to Pay attention to for the next moment. Ten minutes at best. Stretch your body if you need to. Give that big stretch to the physical realm of your body. We are not within the physical realm. We never have been. And those of you that have never met us before know nothing about us, but we'll explain more a bit later. But right now, this is your time. This is your time to give those 27 trillion cells of your body a sense of peace, a sense of safety, a sense that you are not going to impose stress or strain or tension upon them. This is your time to give rest so they can rest. We know that when you sleep, there are so many things that go on inside of your physical body. That's all about being able to regenerate, recuperate, and be fueled. When you rest, there's the ability for your body to take the waste products and move them quietly through like a a trash truck taking your trash in the middle of the night away from you. Wake up in the morning and one of your first urges is to get rid of the waste that has been funneled away and stored ready for you to eliminate the waste. But there's been so much waste. It's also been taken care of while you sleep in the form of gas, the form of perspiring, in the form of things that leave your skin that is not even understood yet by your own scientists. There's so much waste that's leaving your mind as well. As your brain decides to dispose of the waste products of the day, you do wake up more refreshed because your brain has also deposited as much waste. You see, there's something about meditation and rest. And to give yourself the peacefulness of rest during the course of your day is vitally important. You can do it in a moment. You can do it in this moment. And we are doing it in this moment. And so as we continue to do it, realize that we are relaxing you and you are relaxing yourself. You are letting go of the tension in your muscles. And isn't it interesting that you even told your muscles that they needed to be tense? They weren't lifting weights, were they? They were doing amazing, strenuous jobs. Why did you have tension in your muscles? Because you have a belief that tension in your muscles will help you be able to get through the next moment. But it is false. 
If you're not exercising or doing weights or doing physical labor, there's no reason for your muscles to be tense. They can be functional, but they do not need to be tense and notice they can relax even more. Your jaws, your eyebrows, your mouth, your breathing, the back of your neck and your shoulders, down your spinal column, just so easy. Free, fluid, limp, nice. Down both of your arms, your right and your left, and out through your fingers. Same with your feet. That's right. All the way up through your hips and down through your feet. Your left side, your right side. Limp, relax, at ease, at peace. Just a moment, an easy, simple moment for you. An easy, simple moment for you. That's right. Calm and at peace. Good. That nice. Every cell is standing much quieter, and yet it's still busy functioning because you're breathing, the blood is circulating. Now it's much easier for the blood to circulate because you're not restricting or constricting veins and arteries and capillaries. It's easier for your immune system to function because you're not imposing stress and strain that adds to their burden. And why would you do that? They can now just kind of clear out the debris and the waste. Your liver can absorb and function. Your gallbladder can absorb and function. Your spleen can absorb and function. Your appendix can absorb and function. And your intestinal tract can move out and around and about easy for nice. Very nice, isn't it? And as you take a deep breath, and let your respiratory tract just move out the weight and take in the fuel of oxygen and other nutrients to the air. Your skin breathes as well, so allow your skin to be open and free to take in what it takes in from the environment and to move out the waste, what it puts into the environment. Be free and easy. It's nice to be in connection with your body in a way that allows your body to function. It's a beautiful, beautiful planet that your body is. It is, in fact, one of the temples of the divine, the spirit, the soul, the God. It is a temple of God. It is a temple of God that you are in charge of. And in this moment, say to it that you apologize for every bit of misdirect. You are not that best of a God, are you? You are the type of God you would most dread to exist in heaven. You are the type of God that is dismissive and forced too much stress and strain and put too much effort and burden, and requires too much, and believes too little in the well-being of your body, and decides your body should function without your care and love. <laughs> You're not that benign of a God. And apologize now to all 27 trillion cells. Say you are so sorry, and that you are a God in training, and that you're just not doing that good of a job, and that this moment you are more enlightened than ever before, how much each of those cells have been supporting you loyally, faithfully, kindly, trying to do their labor under the least positive situation. And thank them now. 
Thank them for their help, their service to you. They're allowing you to be there, to learn how to be a god of your own planet, your body planet. 27 trillion communities dwell within your planet, and that's actually an underestimation. But close enough. And there's always a shift and there's always movement and always productivity and there's always rest. And now I feel tremendously honored to be a part of this planet, to have been invited. feel tremendously thankful for their support. And now as if you are the humble servant to them, bow down to the beach, each separately and say, help me listen to your needs. Help me listen to your wants. Help me appreciate your gifts. Let me work with you in the best of partnership. Help me hear you. Let me hear you like I wish for the source and the God to hear my prayer. Hear my prayer. And yourselves Hear your sincerity. And in this moment, themselves will say they need fluid, others will need glucose, others will need peace and rest, others will need elimination of waste, others will need stimulation and electricity, others will need their diversity. And now, instead of taking on their Needs and wants and desires as a stressful, tense responsibility. Feel the peacefulness as being the primary way in which you can address the conditions in which they are optimized. Because peacefulness inside of you optimizes the environment for them to be able to be permeable enough to get the chemicals they need from your system impermeable enough to move their waste products out, impermeable enough to interchange with each other to carry out their varied community functions. The peacefulness is a wonderful gift, a wonderful environment that you can give even if all about you is not peaceful. Even if all the things you have to do are not peaceful, you can have a sensation of peacefulness radiating from your heart your intestines, the bottom of your feet, tips of your knees, the edges of your shoulder blades, tips of each of your fingers, the swarm of energy in your brain, your thyroid in your neck, your lungs as they absorb and take in your blood as it transports in and out. Your veins and your arteries as they open to help create the right pressure for the push, the pull, the reception, and the pushing out. Your intestinal tract as it takes in, as your mouth enjoys what it takes in, your senses that help you interface with your outside 
and note that they are peaceful, as if all about you is not. Beautiful. And that's your meditation for the moment. Take it in. Keep it there. And you can do this in a moment. You can do it in a prayer. Hello, we are Ryan. We'd like to describe who we are to you. You've listened thus far. You've listened for a whole hour. Or you've read the book, and therefore you've been able to maintain your attention for this amount of time. So for those that have remained to listen to this, we'd like to introduce who we are. We actually are energy, and that's basically who we are, the vibration. We have been present on your planet for approximately 10 years. We've been funneled through the communication vehicle, and we are so glad that we have this opportunity. So we are we are being channeled as your spiritual community describes it. It's an odd sort of process. What we are is that we are energy, which means we have no boundaries whatsoever in terms of our bodily form, because there is no body. That takes your imagination to even to consider that. And we understand it only with a portion of your imagination and get a minuscule of what that means. And that's fine by us. We do not need you to understand us or to know us or to grasp us. What we do need is to have this wonderful opportunity to provide you a perspective on your situation because we understand that by your perspective, you are able to most gain a rise above your situation to be able to create your next most powerful circumstance. And therefore, you often need to hear people that come from entirely different situations as to what their perspective is so that you can rise above your own isolated and limited perspective, like we mentioned in the section about television. So we are not here to presume in any way, shape, or form that we understand what it is like for you to go through your physical material realm. We would like you, though, however, to grasp that you are also energy, and that you do not have a physical form always. In your dreams, you can escape your physical form. You can actually transport yourself outside of your body. And in fact, you do. In the only way in which you are probably able to experience that is in your imagination, for example, right now. You can imagine what it would be like to be on the planet Mars and whether your imagination is accurate or not. You nonetheless can transport your energy, a portion, a very small portion of it, your imagination to another planet. Now imagine what it would be like to be a cat. And for a portion of a moment, you're able to take your imagination and feel like what it would be like to be in a cat when a cat stretches themselves or sleeps or licks their fur and gets their fur in their mouth and has to choke up their fur ball. You can imagine it. And in that imagining, you're taking a bit of your energy and projecting it into something other than yourself. And that is the power that you need to use more frequently, more consciously. 
Can you imagine, for instance, projecting yourself as a form of energy into the richest and most wealthiest of man or woman? Now, as you imagine being inside of them, imagine what it feels like to have so much money that you don't know what to do with. Imagine that you are inside a compassionate rich person, and that philanthropic individual is trying to figure out which organizations are best to support with the amount of money. The imaginative individual is also also able to figure out how to invest money so as to minimize the loss of finances. Imagine that that rich person, yes, may have a vehicle that is driven by someone else, and they can use their time productively, keeping, resting, creating. Imagine also the stress and strain that some of those very rich individuals put themselves through unnecessarily, but they do. Now imagine what it would be like coming back inside of you, having been informed by your imagination, for you to be a rich person as well. What would it mean for you to have money to, enough to be able to help another individual, enough money to be able to spend wisely or to invest wisely or to save wisely? Imagine what it would be like to use your time wisely every given moment. And now you've taken the lessons you have learned from using your energy of imagination and projecting it into a rich person, and you realize that in your very own circumstances, you can do precisely the same thing. You can give a quarter to someone who needs it. You can also, you can also decide to save some money for yourself. You can also decide to spend your money more productively and wisely that you're not wasting it. You can also decide to spend your moments very productively, with or without tension. So you can do the very same thing that a rich person would do with you. And in that, your imagination structure, and in your very moment, you are able to take yourself and create something that relates to another individual. Now imagine yourself to be inside of a very healthy person's body. Athletic, strong, musculature, well-exercised, well-fed, well-fueled, well-rested, and well-maintained in terms of stress and strain and tension. Imagine what it would be like to feel to be in that body. Imagine what it would be like to make your food choices and what they would be like. Imagine the taste of them in your mouth. Imagine hydrating your body in a way that that, that healthy person, that very healthy person would. Imagine what your fuels would taste like, what it would feel like, and how your body would feel fueled. And add to the vitamins or the minerals. Imagine they're resting and sleeping peacefully and deeply. Imagine them exercising vigorously and intensely. Imagine their musculature supporting their body and well-being. Imagine themselves exposing to other human beings that are healthy and wonderful for their well-being as well. Imagine all of that, and now imagine them earning their money, doing their chores and taking care of their other activities. And now bring your imagination from that extremely healthy person back into your own body. And realize the instruction of that imagination that you have, the energy that you have, that instructs you as to how to be maximizing your own capacity to be healthy as well. And that can be you. Yes, that can be you. And so take your imagination and project it ever so carefully into just the optimal of circumstances. And then bring back the instruction that you've got from that and decide step by step, moment by moment, that you too can enact the very activities that they are as well and become known. And isn't that precisely what you want to be able to do? You see, this is what we have to teach you since we are energy. We can flow inside of whatever system or form. And through energy, we can collect information and understanding 
You can collect your understanding and information from your brain cells. You can collect information and understanding from the different cells within your body. And we can, we can experience it as energy. In fact, in this very moment of you reading or listening to this, you can go inside your body if you so choose and allow it to be able to create an energy field inside of you and outside of you. And for those of you that are allowing that, you'll experience our presence as a sort of a tingle. A tingle all over your body for some of you will be warm and for others of you will be cool. Because some of you need to be cooled down and some of you need to be warmed. For those of you that are now experiencing the sensation of the tingling, you've invited us in. You can also experience that we have absolutely nothing to attach to. We have no desire to attach to. So we are present and allows you to be completely free and not present. You are free to be completely without any sort of sense of attachment or connection that might be causing the problem. We are free, and therefore you are free to be yourself with us. Also experience that there's no sense of judgment on you whatsoever, other than your own sense of judgment which you can point to. For example, perhaps you have a sense of judgment and a pain in your neck. And so we can go to the pain in your neck, and we can see that you have a judgment about it because you don't like it. And therefore, we can decide to experience that you don't like that pain in the neck. And if you decide, we would very glad to dance around the pain in your neck and see if we could ease it and relax it and clean it up. Not because of us attaching to you, but because we can really circulate our energy, we circulate your energy, if your energy chooses to dance with us. And that's the beauty of the experience and the exchange. And so therefore, realize we're not about judging you in any way, shape, or form, but rather being able to understand your own judgments of yourself. And that is very different than feeling like there is a God that's judging you, or feeling like there are other religions that judge you, or other systems of belief that are here to find you as inadequate. Instead, you can see yourself up in those systems and realize that your own judgments are about you being able to maximize and optimize your own circumstances. We are about energy. And therefore, we do not understand the limitations of living this in your physical realm. But actually, one reason we are able to give you information about your physical realm is that predominantly your body is not within the encumbrances of the material because your body is predominantly energy. The communities inside of you are predominantly energy. They are predominantly, even chemicals inside of you are energy, they're energetic. Even the fluids inside of you are predominantly energy. Therefore, we actually understand you better than you understand yourself because it's hard for you to think of yourself as energy. But with your eyes closed and the sense of being able to feel your body, you can feel your body as heavy and the density of materialism, but actually you can also imagine your body as extremely light and able to levitate because your body is predominantly energy. And that's how... The gurus who are able to levitate or transport or bi-locate bi- do it because they move themselves into the consciousness of the energy of their body. And in that, then they can coalesce themselves into a consciousness of material density. And that material density can coalesce in another location as well. Why? Because energy can be in many places simultaneously. We are energy. We can be anywhere. We can't be everywhere, but we can be anywhere. And the reason we can't be everywhere is because we are not all of energy. We're just a collection of energy of thoughts. We have identity, we have personality, we have expression. 
We have a sense of self, if you will say that. It's nothing to do with the material form, but does have to do with energy. We are a mass of energy that can move anywhere, through anything. But that does not mean that we are everywhere. And that's the difference between us and the identification of what you call God. Because God is everything and every form and every form. And that's been very clear in every single one of the documents that has been transmitted to those who have tried to understand the spiritual aspect of the human. Good day. We'll take a bigger break right here and we'll continue with Ryan in a moment. Thanks for continuing to listen. I hope you're gaining a great deal of uh, appreciation, understanding of of what you're being exposed to here. For some of you, this is a brand new experience and something that you should be skeptical of, as Ryan said. But at the same time, opening yourself up to the possibility that, boy, there are things beyond our understanding that we already know are beyond our understanding. And how about those things that we don't understand? We don't even know that they're there to be considered. One of my best examples that has come out within the last year is that of understanding what gray matter is and that we really believe that the majority of this universe, the scientists say, is actually made of gray matter. Think about that. There's matter out there we don't even know exists, and yet majority of our universe is made of that. And that very statement that scientists are able to give us is a wonderful, wonderful way to remind us that, yes, There's more out there that we can't even begin to grasp. So now I'm going to return you to Ryan and enjoy. We have another 45 minutes of our program ahead of us. I'll give you a chance for Ryan to answer a number of other questions. Here we go. Well, 
other questions that we've asked is, is not only about what the spiritual realms are like, but let's talk about the spiritual beings that are there to help you and assist you. And once again, you're going to have to realize that some of you are going to be skeptical. Some of you are going to not believe any of this. Others of you will want to embrace it as if it is the absolute dogmatism. And we would ask that actually you can stay very, very real with your own understanding of what goes on and, and also open yourself up to the excellent opportunity to be able to engage in the spiritual realm. So you have, by act of listening to this program or reading this book, said to yourself that you are curious about the spiritual realm. And therefore, in your curiosity, you're going to open yourself up to your imagination about it. And as you know, we can imagine anything through energy, and that anything actually creates an actual imagined moment. It is a little bit difficult for you to understand or appreciate, but if you can imagine something, you have actually created it. Now, once again, let's say that once again. If you imagined it, you created it. It exists somewhere in what you would call the cosmos. So whatever you imagine, whatever you imagine, you've created it. Do you remember when Christ said, if you have even thought the act of murdering someone... You have murdered. If you've thought the act of created infidelity and be defiling against your spouse, you've actually created that. That seems like a very big burden and sin. But what Christ was trying to point to was not so much that you should be walking around chagrined and horrified at yourself, um, but rather to consider that you could actually purify your thoughts and that what you create in terms of what you imagine actually is a creative power and form. So therefore, why not use it for being much more productive in life and much more effective in helping other individuals? So does this mean you have to guard and suspicion your imagination and not trust yourself? Well, think for a moment what that question even arises. What it arouses is this, that you don't trust your ability to focus on creating that which is helpful to the remainder of the universe, including yourself. And that is what you need to focus on. Can I trust myself to be in a creatively productive mental state a majority of the time? Can I trust that what I imagine is so, and therefore what I imagine can be creatively positive? Well, from this point on, I think you will possibly find it easier. Because every time you think something mean or judgmental or cruel or vindictive or sadistic, you will also say, oh, wow, what have I just done? Not so that you drown yourself off to thinking you're a horrible, disgusting individual, although in moments you absolutely can be. Isn't that the truth? And that's what you have to look at in the mirror and go, oof, boy, look at what I just created. I'm being a scoundrel at this moment. But then you can also say, well, if I just created that, and that was rather disgusting of me, I can now create something that is much more positive and then proceed to do so. So perhaps you can now consciously create something very good for that person that you just murdered in your mind. Or perhaps you can create the imagination that that person comes up to you and says, I'm so sorry for what I did. Perhaps you can create inside of you the imagination that you go to that person and say, you have offended me in this sort of way and I wish that you would apologize to me because... It would be very healing to hear you apologize to it as well. And you can imagine that you've actually created that sort of dialogue, which is the type of dialogue that you would probably hear yourself with 
as well as the other places. Now, what will be the impact of that thought? Well, you may not see an actual material representation of it, in which case you will tell yourself, ah, that was a stupid thought. But no, we would ask you not to do that because you will actually begin to respond on a biochemical level, a cellular level, and actually will have an impact on gestures so refined that you don't need to be conscious that you're gesturing in that way. And that individual will actually feel the impact of your positive experience as that individual felt the impact of your negative imagination. You see, we impact everything. I as energy can impact you. You as energy in your imagination definitely impact any time you're having imagination about anything or anyone. So if you find yourself not liking to look at what you're imagining, then find yourself deliberately creating something that you like to imagine, and that individual will have some sort of response. Now, depending on if that individual is tuned into the response or even wants to select to respond, then it will have varying impact because you have to remember that individual is also independent from you and anything syncretically can decide to have nothing to do with you. <coughs> so, as a consequence of that, you cannot dictate with your imagination what another person's response will be to your imagination. But you can throw it out there like a gift. And a gift is always given without necessarily expecting that the person to choose to open and receive the gift. Now, those of you that might know that there are individuals that like to sadistically imagine things, such as raping individuals or having sex illicitly with someone or killing or raping or tearing someone down. And every human being, we tell you, we trust you, that is of a certain age has had those sorts of feelings. Even very young children have feelings and urges to kill or murder or to dominate or to satisfy some sort of sadistic urge. Because sadism is a part of the human experience. It walks you out of your empathy, but it also helps you walk into your empathy because you know sadism can exist. Sadism is a type of appetite. It is a longing, a desire, but it is not a need. But it is an appetite. And you want to know that that is a part of your human experience. It is an energy. It is an attitude. And so when you project it toward another individual, there is a potential it will have an impact on another individual. If you take it out of your imagination into action, it is much more likely that it will have an impact on another individual. If you take an actual knife to a person and stab them a million times over, that person is likely to die and bleed to death and be in a great deal of pain and to enter into the spiritual realm from a great deal of a sense of having gone through torture and pain. And that will have an impact on the foregoing transmission of that person's energy, the identity of that, that energy, you should say. So as a consequence, you can enact or impose your sadism on another by moving it out of your imagination, and you can impact them much more in the physical realm. In contrast, you can also do that with your love. With your love, your empathy, your graciousness, your kindness, your goodness. And you can go ahead and project that with imagination. It will have a certain amount of impact. You can go ahead and put it in the expressions of the material form, and that will have a much more definite material impact. All of it is very real. All of it is something will have an impact. Of course, the other individual can decide to receive or not receive and can minimize the impact or maximize the impact that you're having on them. So therefore, as a consequence, 
you can now take charge of the responsibility you need to take responsible for in terms of your actions of your imagination as well. However, that is not where we want you to stop. Not with your sense of responsibility or sin or evilness. But now to recognize your sense of powerfulness. And your powerfulness is something that you can now project outwardly, having a tremendous amount of impact. Now, if any of you doubt, there's a wonderful amount of research, one of which comes from one of your esteemed academic circumstances. It's called Princeton. And you can look there and many other places to find research very much congruent with the past. We also know that what thoughts you have in your head impact your body. We know that, and you can know that too by all of your researchers that have gone along those lines as well. You're not saying anything that you actually can't measure now. You can project a positive thing toward a plant, and you can measure the plant's health, and your plant will respond. You can project that you can or not watering your plant, and your plant will immediately respond to that negative imagination of activity as well. So therefore, we would ask you to be very aware of the power of your imagination and in the power of your imagination how you can make things happen. Well, we're being asked right now to predict your future about your planet and the circumstances going on in terms of the international affairs. And the truth of the matter is we cannot predict it because you now, depending on how many of you begin to recognize the very forces that we're talking about, can actually create a change. You could create a change that has nothing to do with what seems to be enacting currently in a situation. For example, in this very present moment, in my present environment, I am aware that on your planet it is raining. But if the individuals in your particular area wanted to change the rain, if there's rain in your area, they would be able to engage themselves in the imaginative act and the rain would just suddenly stop. You doubt this, but don't, not even for a moment. You might want to practice it, exercise it, experiment with it, figure it out. Make it a true hypothesis in your mind and then go about trying to figure out what it takes for you to be able to exercise that type of power over your natural environment. Now, imagine something that's not quite so benign as that of your political leaders that are twisting and turning over the bank. Recognize that there are many people that are involved in the banking situation that have actually controlled the situation where it appears that the banks have lost their money, but they have not. It appears that they're in financial situation, but those individuals are in complete control of where the money comes and goes. You see, there is the belief that they're in danger, and therefore we have to rescue them, but the truth is they didn't need to be rescued. But they'll take the rescue and be able to use that money as well. But in order to be able to appreciate that, the few that are in charge of that dimension have to be spotted and they have to be talked to and they have to be called on their circumstances. But first you have to imagine that they exist in order to be able to start scoping them out. 
And this is true often to geopolitical leaders that are tremendously violent. Let's talk about the leader that was recently hung because he had been so destructive to so many of the members of his own community. How about those that kill anybody that's against them in their regime? Now it's those individuals that have lived underneath the authoritarian dogmatism of the regime that finally were saying, we don't need to live this way, so let's not. Let's organize, let's coalesce our energies together, and let's rebel. We don't need to be doing this. And in fact, they don't need to be doing that. And will the king rebel? Oh, absolutely. That's the way that king would do it because they want to exercise their power and exist forever. They want the more immortality of their way and their lifestyle and their sense of power dominance. And because they had a more strong imagination about their ability to dominate and be powerful and they were willing to go at whatever lengths it took, including murder, mass murder, then they were able to arise to that process. But it's the people that participated in being mass murdered that also allowed the king to rise to that situation. If they no longer participate in being able to be mass murdered, then that king is not going to be able to harness the power. Now, you may think that this is a very simplistic point of view, but if you move outside of your perspective of being a victim to these circumstances and more move to the perspective of rising above it and looking down upon it as if you're seeing the landscape of your history or the dynamics of the circumstances and you watch it as if you're watching a television show, you could tell it yourself what different players could do in any given circumstance that would cause different results. You would perhaps be able to see in terms of the dynamics of the storyline where the vulnerabilities of the king lie and be able to shout down to the participants in the circumstance, hey, look at the king's vulnerable over here, attack him over here. And you would be able to see it because in your imagination you rise above the blindness of the circumstance and be able to see it. And there it is again, the blindness of your circumstances. If you look so closely at your circumstance and think it is the only reality and that your perception is the only reality of the circumstances, you will be blind and therefore have to only function on the basis of what it is you perceive. If you tell yourself that your perspective is only one of vastly different perspectives and try to rise and look at all sorts of different perspectives, then you will actually see so many different dimensions and begin to see where you can actually switch the story. So when you ask us to predict the nature of the future and what's going to happen to your planet economically and internationally, we say, well, we would choose to not predict it because that will influence it. Instead, we would ask that you influence it. Instead of being living in the blindness of your prediction. And therefore, if you see yourself as an influencer of your situation internationally, you can coalesce with others who are influencers and actually create the change of the world. Romance is often a question we get, will we be loved, will we not be loved? Will we find our true heart? Will we not find our true heart? 
Again, you must realize that from our point of view, the experience of finding love is only a finite experience. And we would like you to know that you are so much more than your finite experience of this particular lifetime. And that will take you out of your recognition of feeling rather desperate about it all. Yes. Is it ideal to be loved? Absolutely, because it helps you move in your path of empathy. Is it ideal to love? Absolutely, because it means that the people that are around you can walk in their path of empathy in your presence. Now, as we go with the question of whether or not you will find love or not, can we ask you this very specific question? And reflect on it in terms of your current actions, and you can reflect on it in terms of your current imagination of what you would like things to be. Are you currently helping other people walk in the path of empathy when they are in your presence? By empathy, we mean that you are able to be able to love them without judgment. Yes, you might have your needs and desires for things alternate than what they're giving you, which is often a source of judgment, by the way, that you're not getting what you need and you want. But if you're walking into your path of empathy and you're helping other people walk in their path of empathy, chances of you actually reading a lot of judgment and negativity is not very big. It's a good thing. And therefore, you're allowing them a lot more birth or space and opportunity to be themselves. And if there's a lot more opportunity for them to be themselves, you'll find among collective individuals who can walk on their path of empathy towards you. So they allow you within their presence for you to be open to being you, and that will make you feel like you are being loved and accepted. They open up their path of empathy to you, and you do not feel judged. You feel accepted. You feel invited in to be yourself, and you feel invited in to embrace yourself and that feels like love. In fact, that is what love is. But how many couples actually, let's see now, the statistic I believe is between 50 to 70% of all married couples into divorce. And those divorces are nasty, awful situations that impact children who also begin to learn what it means to not walk within their path of empathy. They cannot exude their empathy toward others and they cannot feel the empathy projected toward them. This is an extremely crumbling situation. But now imagine yourself being able to give your partner tremendous amount of empathy, understanding their pains their discomforts, their insecurities, understanding their distress, their violence, their sadism, understanding their abusiveness and the way in which they've been abused, feelings for them. And to the degree that in that process that gives you tremendous empathy for them, then that is something that you offer to them with unconditional love in another language. So you open up that path for them and wide it becomes. And if they walk on that path and they're able to radiate with the experience of empathy, they will be appreciative, thankful, Relax, open, limp in your presence, and they will be receptive to your love. Now, if another individual has the opportunity to walk within the path and to see you offer to them, and they are accepting of it, then there is often mutual exchange, but not always. Sometimes it depends on their ability to give, which is also part of what you are understanding. But if they do not give to you, that means that they're not your path. 
on empathy, meaning that they are not providing the open path for you to be able to walk down to what they have to offer to you. But not your sphere, your space, or your place where you're going to receive your nutrition, your emotional nutrition, your mental nutrition, and not the place where you're going to be able to feel open and free and honor to yourself. And if they are not that, then you can give them the moment of their opportunity to be on your path in terms of being able to what you offer them. But it is not a mutual exchange that we call romance or love or being in love. It's not that. So if you maintain your sense of creating passive empathy for others, you will still also when someone offers a path of empathy for you. You will feel their sense of open arms, no judgment, peacefulness, a burst of gentleness, gentleness. You see, they they will exude to you an open sense of their their empathy for you being you, your expression of you. And they will understand the ugly side, the annoying side, the irritating side, and all that aspect of life. But they will maintain the other path. And there's the portion of time that they have the energy for. And I realize because there's that experience of extending energy and coming to a lack of energy and then going back to principle of energy, and that cycle that you have in the material realm then that individual may not always be able to sustain that path for you, and you may need it when they're not able to give it to you. And that will feel sad. That will feel painful. And sometimes you will respond in your pain, being angry, frustrated, feeling like you want to pound on them, which is an unlikely way for them to open up their path. So if you can empathically respond to them when they're not available to you, and say, you know, I need you. Yes, I'm in a state of need. And you look at them and you say, oh, you're in a state of need too. Which means you're not available to give to me at this moment. There, you've extended a bit of your own path toward them. They are not available. It's sad for you. Painful for you. And now another path must be created. Or you endure for the moment. But you may not be in a position of receiving what it is you need. And do you mean that you can still provide a path of empathy for others? Oh, yes. But that doesn't mean that your need stops you from shining your light forth. If in a sense you're not understanding what the path of of empathy is, consider the path of light. And pretend that you have a flashlight. Or pretend you have a big beam. And that big beam is being held by both of your hands and exuding from your belly. And now you close off that light. No one can find their way to you because you don't have any light shining from you. That means you can't find love. Now open up your light and shine your light. I know that there are some people that you want to open the light for so they can find a path towards you. And you know that your light is receptive and good and healthy for them to do so. And they sense that it is a wonderful place for them to coalesce to. So they do. They are attracted to the light and they come. Those individuals come with their light on. That means it's going to be mutual love and empathy. Those individuals that come to you and do not have their light on, it means they're going to come out of their need. Or perhaps that is okay for you. If you feel like you have plenty of photons available coming from your light, from your path of empathy, then that's fine if you choose to give it. They may not have the light on, and perhaps you'll help them turn the light on, and now they will give back to you. Or perhaps 
they'll turn the light on and say, thank you very much, and now they're able to shine their path of light toward others. And you perhaps will touch in every single moment of your day people with your light. And some will leave and some will stay. Some will want to take and absorb and use it all up in an exploitive, vampire-like way. And others will just be appreciative and absorb what they need and grow their own strength from it and shine back to you to accomplish. Yes, there will be times when you are in need to take from another because you don't have any light whatsoever. And so now remember the experience of looking for people who have the light and try to, as respectfully as possible, approach them and ask for some of the light to help you turn on your own light. But if you approach those individuals with light, without respect and without dignity, without kindness, without asking in, 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 a, in, a, in a respectful sort of manner, then the other individual will likely turn off the light to you. And do you understand that these metaphors are all energetically oriented? Because we are energy, but you are as well. And your search for romantic love is all about being able to find a place where you can exchange energy where both of you can feel so delicious in the presence of the other. So delicious. Is that delicious with sexuality? Is it affection? Is it trust? Is it honor? Is it warmth? Is it kindness? It's hard to say, but it is nonetheless delicious. It's right. So remember, as you are in search of love, to cultivate your capacity to shine the light from your belly outward and to be paying attention to those that shine the light towards you as well. Ryan once again, and I do think that by now you understand that we very much see you living within your material realm. I want you to realize that your material realm is completely congruent with being spiritual. Will you see angels? Some of you will. Will you see spirits? Others of you will. All of you are having the voices of angels and spirits and wonderful, powerful forces that wish to help you. Now, that doesn't mean you necessarily receive all of their messages through you. Are there other powers that are there as well that don't really want to help you? Well, yes, of course there are. Because there are powers and influences there that would like to take from you to serve their own purposes, to be exploitable, or because they're so empty, they look for whatever they can steal. They're not the powers and influences that know how to create or cultivate. Think for a moment about a farmer who knows how to grow crops and think now about locusts who know how to consume crops. So there are the locust spirits that know how to consume energy, your energy, and they would love to steer you away so they would consume you. That would be comparable to what you say is evil or demonic. From our point of view, you do have the power to be able to say, no, sorry, I am not available for locusts to consume me. I'm not available to be eaten up. 
And if you feel a little nibble or you feel like there's someone trying to take you like a vampire energy, you do have the power both within your imagination and actually your physical form to remove yourself from the presence of that form of evil. In fact, we would suggest you do it with alacrity. Do not feel guilty for removing yourself from something or someone that is violent, evil, consuming, vampire, and exploitive. The completeness to admit yourself and the politeness is because you're respectful, that is your life, but realize the politeness is more important to extend to yourself. There's no reason to expose yourself to someone who wants to eat you up. There is no need. Remove yourself with as much quickness as you possibly can, and remember that if you feel like you are have to stay in the presence of that type of evil, that type of locust that wants to eat you up, it is probably because your imagination has not been exercised to rise above the circumstance to find out your alternate path. So extend that respect towards yourself to rise yourself above your circumstance and rise above and look and look down as if you can levitate above and look down and see the various ways in which you can escape. And yes, at first, they might appear to be perilous if you're just looking on a material level. But if you rise above as if you can levitate and look, look beyond the perilous moment of escape into the possibilities of being able to make things quite beautiful and functional for yourself. So always look for your escape. Remember your captor or the locust that would love to eat you up. Once you create inside of you, they want to impugn inside of you the imagination, their imagination, they are completely dominant of you and that you cannot escape from you. That's what they want you to believe. And so if you opt to coalesce with their imagination, and believe your imagination, like sitting in front of a television screen and seeing nothing but that one television as opposed to all 50, which is in a different chapter, which you'll have to read if you haven't already, then you will believe what your captor has said. And you will believe that you are completely dependent on that captor. But the truth is, is that you are not. Because you are in charge of your life. You can powerfully make things happen. And the first step is possibly your imagination to rise above your captor's world, to rise above and outside your captor's wish for what they want you to believe, to rise above what they imagine about your system, to rise above it and find your escape. For some, even death is an escape, and you must realize that death itself, to you, is one of those television screens where all you can see is the end. You can only imagine beyond what you perceive to be the end. And you do not know because your material form has not moved into the beyond the end. Your material form does not have the identification with the beyond because it exists for here. But to the degree that you are identified with your material body and your material form, you are once again staring too close at the television screen because you're so much more than your material form. But yes, it is the temple that you're in. It's a beautiful temple with wonderful community of cells. But those communities of cells, other than their energy, do not travel into the beyond this life. The form that they take as well comes to an end. And the energy of every one of your cells moves beyond the end but it doesn't have an identification of moving beyond it in its material realm because the material realm does not move beyond. And that's why you don't know whether there's life after death. But rather, once you get to that point, you realize there's more life after death. 
in the life that you live within the confines of the material realm. Unless, of course, you are able in this realm, this material realm, to recognize how immaterial you actually are in this very moment. You listen to the sounds of my voice if you're listening to this audio. You read the meanings of these words, and the meanings of the words are way beyond the ink on the paper or the form of a letter that's translated into a language that your brain can absorb. The meaning is the energy that moves to eternity. What it stirs inside of you and you allowing me to stir your imagination by listening or reading these words, those meanings go on forever. And you can go on forever with those words. Not the ink on the paper. That will decompose. Not even the concept of the letter that is a part of the language. That will end when humans end. There'll be no English language when the English language dies. But the meaning of all of that information will go on and on with the carriers of that information because the information is immortal. It's a different perspective altogether than what you would say if you were living only within the material realms of things. One of your scientists has said that energy never dies, it just changes form. It never stops, it just changes direction so that there is the experience of energy being going on forever and ever. And in fact, that's exactly right. That is the understanding of a minuscule understanding of the universe that is exactly right. That would be T with a capital, truth behind it. Energy goes on forever. But energy as it promotes or propels material realms as it supports to provide fuel for the material realm, is not stuck with its material form that it supports. And that's what's the nice about it. It's there to support and help. It's there to create and help move form into its place. But it doesn't stop there. Isn't that nice to know? Yes, within your material realm, you can now know but the spiritual is very, very real right with you. Wow. this is the last chapter and it's been absolutely delightful being able to express ourselves to you. We realize that we're bringing to you a very different consciousness of a different experience of what's going on. We're trying to move you out of your dimensionalities and your TV screens that are just one or two ways of looking at the world. 
I'm trying to suggest to you that in your imagination, you can move to so many different ways of experiencing the world. Trust your imagination to create. Trust your imagination to be discovering. Trust your imagination to explore. But at the very same time, recognize that your imagination may not be what it is, how do they say, may not be creating. It may not be discovering. It may not be exploring. It may in the very moment be creating the moment of its imagination and the content of its imagination. But it may not be manifesting itself in the material realm. And therefore, you can have an imagination moment. You can have an imagination moment that right now you've materialized an apple in front of you and then open up your eyes and there is no apple in front of you. But you can also use your imagination to materialize an apple in front of you. Use your imagination to think about an apple on the most basic of levels and then go to your grocery store and pick up an apple or go to an apple tree and pluck one off its branches. Now you say, that's not using my imagination, but it absolutely is. Your imagination is formed into your next step, which is what we were talking about previously. But yes, you can even use your imagination to bifurcate an apple and make it form right in front of you. But you don't trust your imagination enough to be able to actually make that happen too often. Some of you, yes, and most of you that are able to actually experience the power of your spiritual energetic domain will be able to exercise and practice actually what you call manifest right in front of you. It's not so difficult. But you kind of have to trust your imagination, the powers that exist in the way the universe works with imagination. Did it, many of your books say in the beginning, there was the word, but we could translate it to the beginning there was the light, in the beginning there was what? Energy. And the energy coalesced itself into imagination. That would be word. And the word in its word form, its imagination word form, moves itself into trajectorying itself into coalescing enough of energy to create matter. And matter is just actually the agreement of a community of energy to say, oh, we'll identify ourselves like this right now. That is a very different thought, don't you? Well, we find that this is enough for this day. We thank you for reading. We ask you for your questions. We appreciate your listening. We wish you the very best in your journey to come. And we're right here. You call us. My name is Ryan. Good day. Well, this is Dr. Carol Francis. I, that 
was amazingly intriguing to me. I have always known that thoughts and ideas and imagination really do affect the way people work in my office as a therapist, but I did not realize the extent of the power of such would never have imagined <laughs> that that's what we're talking about. So, wow, I'm, I'm impacted. I'm noticing that I'm even talking in this type of uh, uh, word power, word um, patterns of Ryan is listening to him so carefully. And I hope that you've been able to listen as well. You know, I, I am completely skeptical anytime I listen to any channelers or any spiritualists or any mentalists because you never know where they're coming from. If they're creating their own imagination, if it has anything to do with my world or the realms of, as I understand them. But that is our job as we live in this material realm to try to expand ourselves into understanding what may be available right next to us in the very next moment. And it sounds like Ryan is saying it's through our imagination that we can move imagination into the next moment and it can have a tremendous impact on our lives. My motto is always to make life happen. I laughed when I heard Ryan actually use that phrase. I think he was probably talking to me directly, so thank you, Ryan. But um, make life happen is truly my verb and would be my wish for you that this would be a contribution to raising your consciousness, whether you agree or not, to contemplate the other realities that you might not have even noticed that would actually change your life dynamically if you embraced them and moved forward with them. The reason I bring Ryan to you on my radio show, which is mostly about psychological issues and people living life very, very healthily, is for you to be able to reach beyond your limitations and the limitations of your own way of looking at the world and say to yourself, wow, there's so much more out there than I can even understand, so why not at least contemplate on whether you embrace them or not? So I take a risk of being criticized by those that hate spiritualism, think that it's the, the, uh, the, the sin of, of what Nietzsche said, that it is the is the way of controlling people, it's the way of manipulating, it's the way governments can make people subservient, it's, it's, it's uh, the foolery of life. And yes, I think that's a worthy criticism, those that listen that are atheists or agnostics or just critical of spiritualism, or even find it to be evil because it's in contradiction to their own point of view. Uh, I know that evangelical fundamental Christians are very worried about mediums and channels and I think with good reason in many respects, but I also know that there's a real reason to actually contemplate alternate perspectives that might actually be able to shake us out of our blind um, dogmatic beliefs. And this is my way of reaching to that and giving you an opportunity to contemplate that in a very real way. I wish you the very best as you approach this day, as you move um, toward a world that's complicated and be able to realize that the complications that we see in the world may simply not have to be our own. We wish you the very best. Thank you. Bye-bye. I had no idea. Wow. I had no idea that that's what the program was doing today. For those of you that are listening to the closing title, Sitting here amazed, I'm talking to myself. I had no idea that that's what we would be exposed to today. 
Well, good day again to those of you still listening on this point. Bye-bye.